it's important to know who you're looking for. I remember when I worked in retail from time to time, a child would go missing in the store. Never anything like too serious, generally just a kid who wanders off because they get bored listening to the boring conversation with the other boring grown-ups that their parents ran into in the boring canned vegetable section. <laughs> a fairly routine occurrence, actually. But one of, one of these instances stood out to me. See, generally, when a child wanders off, the troubled parent would approach an employee and ask, have you seen a little boy or a little girl wearing like a red baseball cap, a yellow jacket, and green rain boots, or something along those lines? But I'll never forget this one frantic parent who came up to me and asked if I had seen their child. I asked what the child was wearing, and for the life of this mom, she just couldn't remember. She was like, oh, we, we had a morning. It was kind of frantic around our house. We were in a rush. So I asked him to dress himself, and I, I actually can't remember what he put on. So I assured her. I said, no problem. We, we'll, we'll find him. Well, there was a slight problem. You see, it was, it was a PD day in the schools that day, and so the store was like rife with little boys running around. And so I grabbed a few other colleagues, and we began the hunt through the aisles looking for this little boy who we really had no description of amongst all these other little boys. Well... To the delight of the frantic mom, we shortly found her son. You know, they're almost always in the candy aisle. But it made me realize that it's really hard to find someone when you're not sure who you're looking for. And as we pause uh, on this Good Friday to remember Jesus' sacrifice for us, we find such an instance in the Gospel of John, chapter 18. Now, the scene is the Garden of Gethsemane, moments before the arrest, trial, and eventual execution of Jesus. After warring in prayer and watering the ground in the, in the garden with his blood-soaked sweat, Jesus submits to his Father's will. He knows that it's time. His betrayer, Judas, he, he's familiar with this place, this garden. He knows that Jesus would frequent this place often. And so he leads a regiment of torch-bearing soldiers and officials and Pharisees into the garden late at night to, to arrest Jesus. But the problem is, it's not clear that they actually knew who they were looking for. And we've been in a series where we've been looking at important questions that Jesus would ask during his time on earth that, that promoted transformation and, and self-discovery. And we find just such a question here in John 18 in this garden. It's a question that Jesus asks those who are about to arrest him. Listen to the question. He actually, he, he asks it not once, but twice in verse 4 and 7. Jesus asks, who is it that you want? 
who is it that you want? Like, who are you looking for? And you see, it's important to know who you're looking for, especially when that person is Jesus. What a fascinating question that Jesus asked. Who is it that you want? I mean, Judas, he certainly knew who Jesus was. He'd followed him closely for approximately three years as one of his disciples. The Pharisees would have known Jesus. He was like number one on their most wanted list for his continual reprimands and embarrassments to them regarding their ungodly ways and their empty religion, their hypocrisy. Pharisees knew who Jesus was, and the soldiers, I, I guess it's possible that they might know, not know who Jesus was, but Judas would solve that. He said, the, the one that we're looking for, I, he'll be the one that I greet with, with a kiss. So this question from Jesus, it must go deeper than mere appearances. It must be possible to miss who Jesus is even if he's standing right in front of our face. Who is it that you, that you want? Judas wanted a payout. To be specific, 30 pieces of pharisaical silver. That's the Jesus he wanted. Jesus looked like dollar signs to him. The Pharisees, they, they wanted a diversion. Okay, the Jesus that they were looking for could, could foot the bill, a blasphemous false prophet who could take the focus away from their wicked ways and back onto their, their prestigious positions. That's the Jesus that, that they wanted. Jesus looked like a scapegoat to them. And the soldiers, well, they, they were looking for an addition to their resumes for Rome. Why, yes, I did, in fact, carry out my orders perfectly in arresting this dangerous, malcontent Jesus. That's the Jesus they wanted. Jesus looked like an opportunity to them. Like a payout, a diversion, an opportunity. Is Jesus any of those things? Well, the answer is Jesus is none of those things. And so he asked the question, who is it that you want? Like, who exactly are you looking for? If it's Jesus you seek, I'll show you who I am. And so he answered them. Listen to his answer. Jesus is the willing sacrifice. In verse 5, Jesus says, I am he. Don't miss it. Jesus saw the piercings. In Isaiah 53, 5, he saw the slappings, he saw the spitting, he saw the humiliation that was coming his way in Isaiah 50, verse 6. Jesus was well aware of the lashings and the beatings he would endure as detailed in Isaiah 52, 12. And yet Jesus doesn't slip back into the shadows of those ancient olive trees. Instead, he steps forward with his hand in the air. I am he. See, Jesus always knew that he would be the willing sacrifice 
He told us that he would be before the scene culminated in the garden. And in John 10, he said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I'm he. He saw the the abandonment of his closest friends. He saw the injustice of his trial. He saw the agony of the cross. He saw you. He saw me. And he said, I am he. And that dark evening when his captors were looking for the Jesus that they desired, Jesus also showed them that he is the one in authority. Make no mistake who was in charge that night. The arrested one was the authoritative one. I love in verse 6 that after Jesus answered, I am he, the Bible says his captors drew back and fell to the ground. Okay, by the word of his mouth, a battalion of seasoned warriors and prestigious religious leaders have their knees literally buckle beneath them as they fall helplessly into the dirt. Don't miss the first two words of Jesus' declaration, I am he, I am. Those are the same words God used to describe himself to Moses in front of a burning bush when Moses was unaware that he was in the presence of the divine. When Jesus declared, I am he, and his accusers hit the floor, he showed them who held the authority. That he alone was worthy to be the perfect sacrifice that you and I need to erase the stain and rebellion of our sin. That God himself would die on our behalf in the person of Jesus Christ, the one in whom God placed all things under his feet, the one in charge. Not a victim. but the willing king of glory. You know, finally that night, Jesus made the most powerful declaration imaginable about who he was. Jesus' love. That's why I do this. Look at verses 8 and 9. I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. He's referring to his disciples, his friends. It goes on to say, this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Father, of of whom you have gave me, I have lost not one. His friends, those he loved, those who would fall asleep on him instead of praying with him only moments before. Those who would run and abandon him in the hours to come. About these men, Jesus says, let these men go. 
They're my friends. Well, Jesus also calls us his friends. And which one of us has not fallen asleep on Jesus at some point or other, has not abandoned him? And yet he still says concerning us, let them go. I love them. So much that I will take on their punishment that they may go free. You know, we live in a culture in which the definition of love can be so confusing. And so Jesus clears it up for all time as the one in authority, the one in charge, willingly gives himself up onto death to save people that could never save themselves. Why? Because he loves us so deeply. On the Mount of Crucifixion, fountains opened deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers flowed incessant from above. Heaven's peace and perfect justice. kissed a guilty world with love. Receive that kiss this Good Friday, heaven's kiss. They didn't know the Jesus that they were looking for. And so he showed them, this is who I am. Jesus willingly stepped forward in all his authority because of love to pay the ultimate sacrifice for you and for me. So so who are you looking for this Good Friday? Because it's important to know who you're looking for. And on this Good Friday, we remember once again that the Jesus that we're looking for is the Jesus that we need. Would you pray with me? Father in in heaven, so often the things that we look for in this life are not the things that we actually need. We search far and wide throughout this world for something, something that will satisfy, something that will fill the hold inside of our soul that we cannot ignore, but that we cannot deny. Something to provide the love that we so desperately crave. And so we thank you again on this Good Friday that you provided every something we could ever need through someone. And God, may those who are gathered here who have tasted this love revel in it again today. The love displayed at Calvary. And I pray that those who are gathered here who have not tasted this, 
this kiss from heaven, this love, they would receive the love of Jesus in their lives and in their hearts. That they would receive the Jesus that they've been looking for all along. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Savior that we need. And it's in his saving name I pray. Amen.